Section 20 of the Underground Railroad Part 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lynn Thompson. The Underground Railroad Part 1 by William Still. Section 20. Trial of the Emancipators of Colonel J. H. Wheeler's Slaves, Jane Johnson, and her two little boys part one among other duties devolving from the vigilance committee when hearing of slaves brought into the state by their owners was immediately to inform such persons that they were not fugitives but were brought into the state by their masters they were entitled to their freedom without another moment's service and that they could have the assistance of the committee and the advice of counsel without charge by simply availing themselves of these proffered favours. Many slaveholders fully understood the law in this particular, and were also equally posted with regard to the vigilance of abolitionists. Consequently, they avoided bringing slaves beyond Mason and Dixon's line in travelling north. But some slaveholders were not thus mindful of the laws, or were too arrogant to take heed, as may be seen in the case of Colonel John H. Wheeler of North Carolina, the United States Minister to Nicaragua. In passing through Philadelphia from Washington, one very warm July day in 1855, accompanied by three of his slaves, his high official equilibrium, as well as his assumed rights under the Constitution, received a terrible shock at the hands of the committee. Therefore, for the readers of these pages, and in order to completely illustrate the various phases of the work of the committee in the days of slavery, this case, selected from many others, is a fitting one. However, for more than a brief recital of some of the more prominent incidents, it will not be possible to find room in this volume. And indeed, the necessity of so doing is precluded by the fact that Mr. Williamson, in justice to himself and the cause of freedom, with great pains and singular ability, gathered the most important facts bearing on his memorable trial and imprisonment, and published them in a neat volume for historical reference. In order to bring fully before the reader the beginning of this interesting and exciting case, it seems only necessary to publish the subjoined letter, written by one of the actors in the drama, and addressed to the New York Tribune, and an additional paragraph, which may be requisite, to throw light on a special point which Judge Kane decided was concealed in the obstinate breast of Passmore Williamson, as said Williamson persistently refused before the said judge's court to own that he had a knowledge of the mystery in question. After which, a brief glance at some of the more important points of the case must suffice. Letter copied from the New York Tribune Correspondence of the New York Tribune Philadelphia, Monday, July 30th, 1855. As the public have not been made acquainted with the facts and particulars respecting the agency of Mr. Passmore Williamson and others, in relation to the slave case now agitating the city, and especially as the poor slave mother and her two sons have been so grossly misrepresented, I deem it my duty to lay the facts before you, for publication or otherwise, as you may think proper. On Wednesday afternoon, week, at four and a half o'clock, the following note was placed in my hands by a coloured boy whom I had never before seen, to my recollection. Mr. Still, sir, will you come down to Bloodgood's Hotel as soon as possible? 
as there are three fugitive slaves here, and they want liberty. Their master is here with them, on his way to New York. The note was without date, and the signature so indistinctly written as not to be understood by me, having evidently been penned in a moment of haste. Without delay, I ran with the note to Mr. P. Williamson's office, Seventh and Arch, found him at his desk, and gave it to him, and after reading it, he remarked that he could not go down, as he had to go to Harrisburg that night on business. But he advised me to go, and to get the names of the slaveholder and the slaves, in order to telegraph to New York to have them arrested there, as no time remained to procure a writ of habeas corpus here. I could not have been two minutes in Mr. W.'s office before starting in haste for the wharf. To my surprise, however, when I reached the wharf where I found Mr. W., his mind having undergone a sudden change, he was soon on the spot. I saw three or four coloured persons in the hall at Bloodgood's, none of whom I recognised except the boy who brought me the note. Before having time to make inquiry, someone said they had gone on board the boat. Get their description, said Mr. W. I instantly inquired of one of the coloured persons for the desired description, and was told that she was a tall, dark woman with two little boys. Mr. W. and myself ran on board of the boat, looked among the passengers on the first deck, but saw them not. They are up on the second deck, an unknown voice uttered. In a second we were in their presence. We approached the anxious-looking slave mother with her two boys on her left hand. Close on her right sat an ill-favoured white man, having a cane in his hand, which I took to be a sword cane. As to its being a sword cane, however, I might have been mistaken. The first words to the mother were, Are you travelling? Yes, was the prompt answer. With whom? She nodded her head toward the ill-favoured man, signifying with him. Fidgeting on his seat, he said something, exactly what I do not now recollect. In reply, I remarked, Do they belong to you, sir? Yes, they are in my charge, was his answer. Turning from him to the mother and her sons, in substance, and word for word, as near as I can remember, the following remarks were earnestly, though calmly, addressed by the individuals who rejoiced to meet them on free soil, and who felt unmistakably assured that they were justified by the laws of Pennsylvania, as well as the law of God, in informing them of their rights. You are entitled to your freedom according to the laws of Pennsylvania, having been brought into the state by your owner. If you prefer freedom to slavery, as we suppose everybody does, you have the chance to accept it now. Act calmly. Don't be frightened by your master. You are as much entitled to your freedom as we are, or as he is. Be determined, and you need have no fears that you will be protected by the law. Judges have time and again decided cases in this city and state, similar to yours, in favour of freedom. Of course, if you want to remain a slave with your master, we cannot force you to leave. We only want to make you sensible of your rights. Remember, if you lose this chance, you may never get such another, etc. This advice to the woman was made in the hearing of a number of persons present, white and coloured, and one elderly white gentleman of genteel address, who seemed to take much interest in what was going on, remarked that they would have the same chance for their freedom in New Jersey and New York as they had then, seeming to sympathise with the woman, etc. During the few moments in which the above remarks were made, the slaveholder frequently interrupted, 
said she understood all about the laws making her free and her right to leave if she wanted to but contended that she did not want to leave that she was on a visit to new york to see her friends afterward wished to return to her three children whom she had left in virginia from whom it would be hard to separate her furthermore he diligently tried to constrain her to say that she did not want to be interfered with that she wanted to go with him that she was on a visit to new york had children in the south etc but the woman's desire to be free was altogether too strong to allow her to make a single acknowledgment favorable to his wishes in the matter on the contrary she repeatedly said distinctly and firmly i am not free but i want my freedom always wanted to be free but he holds me while the slaveholder claimed that she belonged to him he said that she was free again he said that he was going to give her her freedom etc when his eyes would be off of hers such eagerness as her looks expressed indicative of her entreaty that we would not forsake her and her little ones in their weakness it had never been my lot to witness before under any circumstances the last bell tolled the last moment for further delay passed the arm of the woman being slightly touched accompanied with the word come she instantly arose go along go along said some who sympathized to the boys at the same time taking hold of their arms by this time the parties were fairly moving toward the stairway leading to the deck below instantly on their starting the slaveholder rushed at the woman and her children to prevent their leaving and if i am not mistaken he simultaneously took hold of the woman and mr williamson which resistance on his part caused mr w to take hold of him and set him aside quickly the passengers were looking on all around but none interfered in behalf of the slaveholder except one man whom i took to be another slaveholder he said harshly let them alone they are his property the youngest boy about seven years of age too young to know what these things meant cried massa john massa john the elder boy eleven years of age took the matter more dispassionately and the mother quite calmly the mother and her sympathizers all moved down the stairs together in the presence of quite a number of spectators on the first deck and on the wharf all of whom as far as i was able to discern seemed to look upon the whole affair with the greatest indifference the woman and children were assisted but not forced to leave nor were there any violence or threatenings as i saw or heard the only words that i heard from any one of an objectionable character were knock him down knock him down but who uttered it or who was meant i knew not nor have i since been informed however if it was uttered by a colored man i regret it as there was not the slightest cause for such language especially as the sympathies of the spectators and citizens seemed to justify the course pursued while passing off of the wharf and down delaware avenue to dock street and up dock to front where a carriage was procured the slaveholder and one police officer were of the party if no more the youngest boy on being put in the carriage was told that he was a fool for crying so after master john who would sell him if he ever caught him not another whine was heard on the subject the carriage drove downtown slowly the horses being fatigued and the weather intensely hot the inmates were put out on tenth street 
not at any house after which they soon found hospitable friends and quietude the excitement of the moment having passed by the mother seemed very cheerful and rejoiced greatly that herself and boys had been as she thought so providentially delivered from the house of bondage for the first time in her life she could look upon herself and children and feel free having felt the iron in her heart for the best half of her days having been sold with her children on the auction block having had one of her children sold far away from her without hope of her seeing him again she very naturally and wisely concluded to go to canada fearing if she remained in the city as some assured her she could do with entire safety that she might again find herself in the clutches of the tyrant from whom she had fled a few items of what she related concerning the character of her master may be interesting to the reader within the last two years he had sold all his slaves between thirty and forty in number having purchased the present ones in that space of time she said that before leaving washington coming on the cars and at his father-in-law's in the city a number of persons had told him that in bringing his slaves into pennsylvania they would be free when told at his father-in-law's as she overheard it that he could not have done a worse thing etc he replied that jane would not leave him as much however as he affected to have some implicit confidence in jane he scarcely allowed her to be out of his presence a moment while in this city to use jane's own language he was on her heels every minute fearing that someone might get to her ears the sweet music of freedom by the way jane had it deep in her heart before leaving the south and was bent on succeeding in new york if disappointed in philadelphia at bloodgood's after having been belated and left by the two o'clock train while waiting for the five o'clock line his appetite tempted her master to take a hasty dinner so after placing jane where he thought she would be pretty secure from evil communications from the colored waiters and after giving her a double counselling he made his way to the table remained but a little while however before leaving to look after jane finding her composed looking over a banister near where he left her he returned to the table again and finished his meal but alas for the slaveholder jane had her top eye open and in that brief space had appealed to the sympathies of a person whom she ventured to trust saying i and my children are slaves and we want liberty i am not certain but suppose that person in the goodness of his heart was the cause of the note being sent to the anti-slavery office and hence the result as to her going on to new york to see her friends and wishing to return to her three children in the south and his going to free her etc jane declared repeatedly and very positively that there was not a particle of truth in what her master said on these points the truth is that she had not the slightest hope of freedom through any act of his she had only left one boy in the south who had been sold far away where she scarcely ever heard from him indeed never expected to see him any more in appearance jane is tall and well formed high and large forehead of genteel manners chestnut colour and seems to possess naturally uncommon good sense though of course she has never been allowed to read thus i have given as truthful a report as i am capable of doing of jane and the circumstances connected with her deliverance w still p s of the five coloured porters who promptly appeared with warm hearts throbbing in sympathy with the mother and her children too much cannot be said in commendation 
In the present case they acted nobly, whatever may be said of their general character, of which I know nothing. How human beings who have ever tasted oppression could have acted differently under the circumstances, I cannot conceive. End of section 20